This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That's a Christmas song that we have known, we have sung for uh, centuries as a church. And it's something that is incredible. It's one of my favorite Christmas hymns. I, I love the words, I love what it points to. And there's a question in there that we need to be able to answer. What is it about Jesus' coming that makes us rejoice? What is it that we're rejoicing over? In other words, what is it that has made us long for rejoicing? What's been holding us down? What are things that make us feel broken down, overrun, exhausted to the point where we need a reason to rejoice? Last week, uh, Jen preached uh, an incredible sermon about the, the necessity for acknowledging the things that are actually broken, things that are actually weighing us down, the things that are painful during the Advent season. She talked about how important it was for us not to just fake it during the Christmas season. The importance of looking at, we don't have to hide from the things that are heavy. We don't have to hide from the things that weigh us down. We don't have to hide from the things that leave us heavy laden just for the sake of Christmas. So what do we do? Because Christmas so often is very much about that, isn't it? Most times when it's Christmas season, when it's that Advent season, This is the time to put on a happy face. This is the time to sing all of the Christmas songs. This is the time to either find a way to conjure up this Christmas spirit, even though at the same time, we're feeling heavy, we're feeling broken, we're feeling sad. Studies show that uh, Christmas season is a time where some of the highest levels of depression seem to rear that ugly head. We have people that are overrun with sadness and loneliness and despondency. And yet we're told, be happy, it's Christmas. Get in the Christmas spirit. What is it about Jesus's arrival that should actually make us come out or that brings us out of that? Ultimately, that's the only way to truly engage this season well. How does Jesus answer that? How does his arrival make us rejoice? Listen, our world knows a thing or two about brokenness and turmoil. We are in the midst of a pandemic. We are in the midst of people all over the world suffering. We're told that during this holiday season, it could get and likely will get a lot worse. How do we rejoice in that? There are people, when you think about what it means to engage Christmas, for me it was always, wow, I wanna be reminded of home in some ways. I want to be reminded of the good things that I associate with home, family, friends, food, all of these wonderful things that we associate with the holidays. But when when I'm honest, those things are good because they help me avoid. Those things are good because they help me kind of bypass. There's nothing about that that actually helps me solve or helps me engage the things that are painful. They definitely don't do anything to alleviate the things that are painful. But yet, there's something about home that draws me in. It gives me a a feeling of warmth and a feeling of some type of hope. But there's also a piece of home that doesn't bring that. There are many of us for whom home represents something painful. Maybe home uh, is difficult to recapitulate because people from home are no longer with us. Or maybe people from home are people who bring real pain in our lives. How do we rejoice in the midst of that? How do we rejoice in the midst of turmoil? There's something about Christmas, the true spirit of Christmas, the true spirit of Christ that should bring real rejoicing in the midst of the turmoil as a response to the turmoil, and as a restoration of the things that have been broken. Our text today brings us into that, as this prophet, Prophet Isaiah, is going to talk to us and give us 
what real hope and what real peace looks like in the midst of turmoil. Not calling us to avoid and ignore the turmoil, not causing us or, or calling us to hide from the turmoil, but what it means for the peace of Christ to engage the turmoil and make a promise that the turmoil will be no more. So let's read together Isaiah 11, the first nine verses, and let's walk through how this peace of Jesus, this peace of the true Christmas tree really answers and gives us a reason for rejoicing. Isaiah 11, starting with verse one, then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion and the fat, fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When you look at exactly what, what uh, Isaiah brings us here, he's given us this picture of this coming Messiah. When you think about where Israel is here, Israel is uh, dealing with what it means to, to see wickedness and to, and to be oppressed and to engage what it means to be held captive. All of these things are happening, and yet Isaiah is giving them this picture of what hope will look like. Not just what hope will look like, but who will show that hope, who will bring that hope, who he actually is. And he starts by showing that he is a peace bringer. If you look at uh, verse one, you see what a peace uh, bringer looks like. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now, if you have uh, a yard, if you've ever had a yard, if you've been around a yard, this is an image that should be familiar. When you have uh, a shoot, oftentimes you have these little kind of seedlings or these pieces of a, these small plants that start growing through uh, the, the holes that are in uh, a tree stump. It's not uncommon to see tree stumps where you're seeing little shoots that are coming up. You even, a lot of times when people plant a tree, they get really concerned depending on how it was planted. They get worried that other roots that were uh, underneath wherever the tree was planted will start to sp uh, sprout up through the holes that are there in the stump. So this is not a, a hard picture to see, right? And many times when you have uh, uh, land and you're cutting trees down, you'll start seeing shoots coming up even more rapidly, right? Because that tree has been cut down, that stump has more area for a plant to come up and grow. So this isn't a, a foreign piece, right? This isn't something that's hard and people in Israel knew that really well. This tells us a lot about Judah during this time. This tells us a lot about how Judah had been, the people of God had been reduced to a stump. This is uh, nothing but the stump of a fallen tree. This tells you just how, what the nature of the turmoil was uh, for the people of Israel. So every Israelite, they know exactly what Isaiah is saying here. They know exactly what has already occurred. The kingdom of David has fallen. The kingdom of, of David has fallen like an oak tree that's been cut down. They've dealt with what it means to be overtaken, to be held captive, to be uh, judged, to have uh, horrible wickedness uh, perpetrated upon them. They've had all these things happen, and now only the stump remains. In other words, the glory of, of Israel, the glory of God's people is, is all gone. 
So you've got this widespreading, noble family tree that had covered all of Israel with all of its branches. And now it's, it's gone. This kingly house of David that they had held to, that they had believed in, this, this great nation that they had been a part of, God's nation, has been cut down. David's kingdom cut down. Son of Jesse, it's, it's withered, decayed, broken down. And now it's this insignificant little stem. That's it. All of its former power, all of its splendor, gone, disappeared. So here you have at the time of Isaiah, you've got here, if you look at the chapter before, you're seeing all the ways that judgment has come upon. You've seen all the ways that God has used other nations as uh, uh, vessels through which he would bring judgment on the children of Israel. So you see him using nations like Assyria, but then, he, then you see judgment on Assyria and you see what has happened to these folks. So you've got Assyria, this strong and mighty nation. And Isaiah, if you look at the, the earlier chapter, Isaiah compares Assyria, this great and mighty nation, he, can, he compares them to the mighty cedar trees of Lebanon. So again, you, this picture of a tree is always a picture of might, this picture of what it means for things to be well. And he looks and he says, you see in, in, verse, in, in chapter 10, uh, verses 33 and 34, he puts it this way. He says, look, the Lord God of armies will chop off the branches with terrifying power and the tall trees will be cut down. The high trees felled. He is clearing the thickets of the forest with an ax and Lebanon with its majesty will fall. These are those that have been bringing wicked, or that it, God had used to bring judgment on the Israelites. And so there's a sense of hope here because that tree has been cut down. And that tree has been cut down the same way that the tree of David had been cut down. And in the midst of that tree being, cutting down, being cut down, there's this hope that the Israelites who had been overtaken by that tree, now there's a stump that this plant will grow out of it that this stem will grow out of it. Something related to this, their earlier king will come out of it. So there's sense of something being restored. I see that there's brokenness all around me. I can look back and remember how things should have been, but it's not that way anymore. And I need a reason to hope that it will change. I need a reason to hope that it will be restored. And this little shoot, this little plant is the hope that they've been waiting for. And so Isaiah is just giving them this prophecy that it's coming. Won't come for some time, but he's bringing this, this hope, right? This, so he's using the image of the trees, symbolizing the power and the, symbolizing the majesty of, of, of Judah, the, the people of Israel and Assyria. And what did God say? He's going to take an ax, go through the forest. He's going to chop all of it down. And when he's done with them, there would, there would be nothing left but their pride. Nothing left but that memory. Now, we know why Judah had been reduced at this time. It was because of sin. If you look through uh, the earlier part of Isaiah, you see him saying, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey, his owner's uh, manager or manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. O sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. So Israel found themselves in this position because they had turned away from God. They had failed. They had ceased to bear the very image of God. They had ceased to show the heart of God. They had, they had functioned the way that we function so often. We begin to get to a place where we start believing in ourselves far more than we believe in God, trusting in ourselves more than we trust in God, loving ourselves more than we love God. And therefore, we don't love each other well at all. They had suffered real judgment because of it. And so God did with them what he does with us. If there's a tree that begins to rot, he cuts it down. He prunes it so that real growth can grow again. He pruned it. And so he pruned them. He cut off the, all of the unproductive branches of the tree and then he throws them into the fire and all that remains is the stump. Now, if that was the end, yeah, Christmas wouldn't be a very fun story either, right? Because if that's where the story ends, then there really is no hope. There's nothing but judgment. 
There's nothing but brokenness. There's nothing but pain. And you know what we would do? We would just find ways to, to hide. We'd find ways to avoid because that is a constant. The pain and the suffering is a constant. Can't do anything about that. So I might as well just enjoy myself and that's it because I can't do anything about all of the things that are harmful, especially if I had something to do with why I'm in pain. And yet that isn't the end of the story. Just like the stumps that we see in the yards around our own neighborhoods, uh, a shoot is coming up out of this old stump. A plant is coming up out, a branch that will indeed bear much fruit. Yes, it starts small. It starts so humble. It's a small little shoot, but someday what Isaiah is saying is someday it will be a tree, a tree with branches that bear fruit. So Isaiah had been prophesying about this tree, what I would call the very first Christmas tree. He's prophesying out ahead to this tree that's going to bring real hope again. This tree that's going to help restore our hope, restore our faith, restore our joy and give us an answer. Give us something that we can cling to in the midst of turmoil. I hope you hear the promise that's there. There's a real promise that Isaiah is bringing us when he points to who Jesus is, this promise of a Christmas tree in Bethlehem, a promise that starts off as this small shoot, right, from the stump of Jesse, and it grows into this great and powerful kingdom. So who is this shoot? Who is this shoot? When we look at the genealogies of, of Matthew 1 and the genealogy listed in Luke 3, we see that Jesus is the shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse. He is what Matthew calls the son of David. That's why that phrase gets used. Jesus is the son of David. He's the one that comes from that lineage. He is the one that comes up as a shoot through that broken down tree stump. When he is born in Bethlehem, under the difficult circumstances in which he was born, he's born as the shoot, this real piece of hope in the midst of turmoil. So here we are, the second Sunday of Advent, and we're looking forward with Isaiah to this shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse. And then verse two, not only do we see in verse one who he is, but verse two tells us what he actually has. Verse two, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. Now, this is, this is super powerful because, listen, here we are looking at this, this leader that's coming, this Messiah. This is who Isaiah is pointing to, right? He's waiting for this Messiah that's coming, and he's pointing to what real hope is going to look like and who this leader is going to be, what he will actually have, right? What abilities he will have, what things that make up, that comprise his nature, and every time I see this, I'm reminded that, that it's hard when, you, when you're told that a leader is coming. It's not hard on the front end because we think about all the best qualities about a leader and we hope that they hold to their best qualities. We dread their worst qualities being on display. No matter what president is in office, no matter what president you voted for, every president at some point in their term, run, they run into a time where they are not popular. For the most part, you can always see popularity ratings rise and then fall precipitously, depending on what's happening in the world, depending on what they say or what they do. Presidents, uh, they don't stay popular. They don't stay popular because, and it happens to every earthly leader, because they're only human. They have human frailties. They have faults. Earthly leaders, they experience ups and downs of life. There's not an earthly leader that makes perfect decisions. You know what else? No earthly leader always receives perfect counsel. That means that sometimes, depending on how you view certain candidates and leaders, there are some leaders or some candidates that run for office and they make bad promises and then they keep those bad promises. There are others that make good promises and fail to keep those good promises. In either case, they find themselves very unpopular. But this is not the case with this shoot. This is not the case with this Messiah that's coming, with the branch, right? 
the, the seed of Jesse. Notice what he has. Verse two, he has the spirit of wisdom, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This gives us real hope. Listen, no matter what leader, this tells us how futile it can be to put our greatest hope in leaders because they inevitably will run into situations where they don't get wise counsel. They inevitably will run into situations where they uh, do not have real wisdom. They inevitably will have times where they are ruling or making decisions on things that they may not understand. And whenever that happens, it doesn't go well for the people. Whenever that happens, we can look and it doesn't matter what candidate is in office. When there's a pandemic, if there's a candidate or a leader or a president or a, a, any type of governmental leader, if they don't listen to the science on the on on the on the virus or on a disease, then the people will suffer. Right. So so you need leaders that are going to do that. And they don't always do that. And so people begin to suffer and people begin to wail and people begin to trust leaders a little bit less every time. And here Jesus is showing, I'm the leader you can trust because I'm coming with all wisdom. I'm coming with all understanding. The people of Israel knew what this meant. They hadn't seen a leader they could trust well. When they would start to trust, they would see the leader begin to turn or begin to rebel. And then these people would often suffer because of what the leader allowed to happen in the country. And so Jesus brings this kind of wisdom. You know what it means? It means that his decisions... His decisions are always right. Finally, a leader that we can just trust. We don't have to fact check everything that he says. We don't have to censor what he says. We don't have to fact check everything he tweets because we can trust that this leader comes with real wisdom and real understanding. He never makes mistakes. He never second guesses himself. We can trust him. So this, this, remi- this shit reminds us of the way that Jesus spoke when he began his earthly ministry, right? Remember what he said to that crowd, this critical crowd. They've been criticizing him at Nazareth. And he quotes from Isaiah. And what does he announce? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. That very spirit that Isaiah said would come upon the shoot of, of, of David, the, out of the seed of Jesse. What did he say? The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Jesus is quoting. He's quoting that in Luke 4. He's quoting and he's saying everything that you read about in Isaiah, the one that that shoot that we've been waiting for for a long time. I'm him. This is what I'm bringing. This is the baby whose birth we celebrate during the season of Advent. He's finally come. So not only does he give us uh, who he is, it doesn't just give us what he has or, or what he, he also tells us. Isaiah tells us what he does in verses three through five. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. So here we are looking at what the shoot does. So first, what do they say? First, it says that he will delight in the fear of the Lord. His delight, he will delight in the fear, the wisdom, the reverence of God. It's his heart to obey God. That means that unlike most leaders, his goal is I want to only communicate God's heart. I only want to function in the way that God functions. We say it, we say this phrase often, but we need to get to a place where we really mean it. He's only going to love the things God loves, and he's only going to hate the things that God hates. He's only going to communicate the things that God communicates. And really, we shouldn't expect anything less. Then he gets into the real nitty gritty because he says he's going to say, so here's what it means, right? To delight in the fear of the Lord, to take joy in in, in showing nothing but reverence to God, to take joy in imaging God well. Bearing the image, the icon of God well. And here's what it means to bear the image of God well. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. 
And then look at who he points this attention to. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for whom? For the oppressed of the land. Listen, this really hit me because whenever we talk about Christmas, rarely do we talk about Christmas in terms of what Jesus does and what he brings to those who are poor, to those who are needy, to those who have been oppressed. Honestly, the only way that this comes up, it, don't get me wrong. Christmas time is a great time to go to a soup kitchen. That's normally when people will do it. Hey, we want to be able to give back. And so, so we, we have no problem, right, spending a little bit of time going to a homeless shelter, packing food and bringing food. And those things are fine. Those things are great. But Jesus does much more than that because it's not enough to just care about the individual needy person, the individually, the, the person who might be homeless, the person who uh, might be oppressed, the, the migrant worker that's being exploited. That individual thing, hey, let's make sure we give them a little something this Christmas. But Jesus cares even more about what caused them to get there. Jesus cares not just about the person that's suffering, but the system that caused them to suffer. Jesus talks and uses language to say he's coming in and he says, I'm going to judge in order to judge. This is a legal term. I'm going to judge righteously. That means I'm going to look at it's not I'm going to look at the legal system that seems to be overlooking the poor. I'm going to look at the system that seems to be overlooking or exploiting the oppressed. Which means if the system is the oppressor, Jesus is crushing that too. How often do we look at Christmas as a time to engage real justice? Because Jesus does. How often when we're thinking about Christmas do we go, and this is one of the things that makes us rejoice. Justice makes us rejoice. We sing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Rejoice, rejoice. Jesus, you bring justice. I rejoice over that. Are we able to rejoice are we able to mourn injustice so that rejoicing over justice really, really makes sense? This is uh, such a big part because we are at a place right now, and we probably have always been at this place, but it seems to have been magnified over the last several years. We are in a place where this kind of justice has become a line of demarcation among Christians. So when Jesus so often Jesus gets used to bypass justice. The same way we're talking individually, Jesus and Christmas time gets used to bypass the individual pain and suffering that we feel. So often Jesus and Christmas gets used to bypass injustice. It's really easy to do. In many ways, it's so hard to see because I've been guilty of it. It's easy to be during the Christmas season to almost be so excited about running. I remember as a kid, couldn't wait to get home to see what was under the tree. Nothing wrong with that. Couldn't wait to get home to see what presents were going to be coming my way. Even sometimes I can't wait to go and give the presents to the people for whom I bought presents. But on the way, how easy is it to drive by? The, I remember as a kid seeing people on the road and going, how is this possible? Like, we're getting ready to drive to a neighborhood to look at all the fun lights that people put on tree, uh, put on homes and drive by the people who don't have homes. Christmas should be both. We should be able to hold and go, I am still mourning real injustice. This is not a break. Christmas isn't halftime. This isn't the halftime show. This is the time that we mourn injustice. Why? Because Jesus has come and he is coming. And what does he bring? He brings justice. He, ju he judges with righteousness. It is so important for us to figure out which side of the line we're on when it comes to justice. Because if we use Jesus to avoid justice, we are not looking for the peace of Jesus. We really are holding the peace of rebellion. We're not on his side. I remember uh, speaking at a conference. I had been invited to go speak at a conference in the Midwest on, uh, on the gospel and racial justice. 
And uh, it's something looking back, I've learned a lot from this time. I likely would never do that again. But but because of uh, having been invited in, when I got there, I realized that I was, A, the only person of color, one of the only per, uh, people of color who was even speaking uh, there. And the crowd, that, that includes the crowd as well as speakers. And I was the only one speaking on that issue, and which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But here's what happened. I got up talked for maybe 15 minutes. I know it's shocking to believe I can just talk for 15 minutes, but I did. And in talking for 15 minutes, I finished. And after finishing, the man who was speaking right after me, he was one of the hosts of the event. He got up and he said, he said, and he, he was seemingly perturbed and he went, geez, I can't wait for Jesus to come. So we just don't have to talk about this stuff anymore. And then he just went on to talk about a completely different issue. I know that there are those out there that know that story. I know there are those out there that right now, sometimes it can almost feel frustrating to see people just in a place of rejoicing without mourning over the things that Jesus said he would be bringing, right? They're not, or mourning over the things that Jesus is bringing to solve, to, to heal, to restore. It's so easy to just jump past that. It's so easy to just avoid. Like, I, I don't want to deal with the, right, the justice issues. I'll talk about righteousness, holiness, and Jesus coming to die for my sins and making sure that individually I am right with him, which is so important. But Jesus brings both. If we're really righteous, then we can't help but be just. If Christmas makes you righteous, but it doesn't make you just, that's not the peace of Jesus. That's a piece of yourself. So, I'm thinking about a quote from uh, Dr. Uh, Bill Pinnell. He's a professor at a, at a seminary out in California. And he put it this way, and this hit me so hard. He said, he said, a lot of people slept through the civil rights movement on their way to a Billy Graham crusade. This is who specifically American evangelicals have been. It's super easy to bypass the justice issues so that I can go and engage with the righteousness issues, which is such a misnomer because it's not righteousness if it's not just. Jesus comes with justice and righteousness. And unlike us, this is where real hope should come. Because when I hear people say justice, I, I remember people would come and say, you know, when I think of justice, I think about punishment and I think about what it means to, to punish wrongdoers. And that's the kind of justice that I think about. And here we're seeing Jesus expands that. Jesus doesn't just judge by what can be seen or the way people see things. He doesn't judge by what can be heard or the way people often hear things and hearsay and people can be mis, uh, misquoting or misrepresenting facts. He doesn't get tricked by any of that. He doesn't get tricked by things that are repeated wrongly, lies that get repeated wrongly. He will judge righteously. The coming of Christ should imbue us with a desire for righteous judgment. A desire to see the poor and the needy judged righteously. A desire to see those that are oppressed in our lands judged and treated fairly. That should be our longing all throughout the year and especially so in Christmas. If we care about justice and we care about right, it shouldn't just be for certain times of the year. Christmas should amplify that. Because the one who brings true justice and true righteousness has come. That should be the time where we're most engaged with justice and righteousness. Not all of the other trappings, not all of the other secondary and tertiary issues that drive ourselves away from the heart of God. So I'll say it again. If you look at Christmas as an escape from caring about justice, you don't have the peace of Christ. You just have the peace of rebellion. And then we see finally, verses six through nine, what this Jesus, what this shoot of Jesse, this offspring of David, this, this shoot coming through the stump, what he brings. He, here in verses six through nine, this is what Jesus brings. This is this next aspect of, of his kingdom and his ministry. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them. 
The cow and the bear will graze, their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Isaiah ends this prophecy with this picture of what this, this, this shoot from the stump of Jesse brings. Here's what he brings, this incredible picture of what real reconciliation looks like. And it's not just even the reconciliation or the, I would say, first time conciliation amongst certain people groups that have never been closed, but also he reconciles us back to creation. So we've got the brokenness in our own individual selves that, that the shoot comes to restore, the brokenness amongst each other, which is the reason why injustice exists, and then the brokenness that exists amongst creation. In many ways, Isaiah is pointing us both backward and forward. He points backward to the fall, really, in Genesis. He points back even pre-fall. He shows you what, what it meant to walk uh, with creation in, in the manner in which God intended at creation. In other words, when he points out the things that are, pre that are present in this, in this prophecy, the, wool dwelling with the, the wolf dwelling with the lamb. Listen, we all know that, that what sin did to creation, sin completely marred it. The sin of Adam and Eve marred what God created. We always say three primary relationships for which we are created, our relationship to God, our relationship to each other, and our relationship to creation. Guess what? All three of those were completely demolished. They were completely broken or marred. If we were meant to image him well like a mirror, it's shattered. And now we refract the light and it just bends everywhere and it doesn't work well. So I don't relate right to God the way I meant to. I don't relate to you the way that I was meant to. I don't relate to creation and creation doesn't relate to itself. That's why it's groaning with labor pains, waiting for that fruitful branch to come forth and to come forth once and for all. So Isaiah is saying, remember what pre-fall earth looked like? Before the fall ever occurred, what it meant for animals to be able to be alongside each other and not try to tear each other apart? Remember what it was like when human beings uh, for at least a short period of time were in perfect relationship with each other and God and not trying to tear each other apart. There is a time that's coming where creation is rightly reconciled and you can have, like he says here, a baby, the most defenseless one, put a hand in a snake pit, symbolizing something that is almost sure danger and say he's removing all the danger. He's removing all the threats. There's no reason for us to have security systems anymore because there is no threat. There is no danger. There is no turmoil. Jesus has come to, to, to abolish the very thing that brings us a heavy heart. He comes to fix. He comes to bring this beautiful picture of peace. Earlier in Isaiah in chapter two, he, he presents uh, another picture of peace. I'm going to read it for you really quickly. Isaiah chapter two, he walks in and he says in verse four, he will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation for they will never again train for war. Jesus is coming to restore everything that has been broken from individual things to systemic things to creation things. Can you imagine a world without any sense of uh, uh, people killing each other, planning war on each other? Can you imagine a world where there's no need for a military? Can you imagine a world where there's no need for guns? There's no need for missiles. There's no need for tanks. There's no need for grenades. There's no need for mines. Can you imagine people taking weapons of warfare and then using those or exchanging those into tools and instrument for flourishing? Instead of using fashioning metal into weapons, I fashion it into ways in which I can bring forth fruit from the ground. Imagine a world where uh, aircraft carriers are converted into cruise ships. This is the world that Jesus is bringing. 
This is the world that he, is, that he started on Christmas, during that Christmas season, and that he is coming to completely finish again. The Bible has a word for this. There's one simple word in the Hebrew that describes what we're talking about, and that is this word you've heard before, this Hebrew word shalom. Most of us know the word shalom is understood to mean uh, peace. Whenever we say peace, that's what that Hebrew word means. But, and it's used to greet people, right? You greet and even when you leave, when you see people or you're bidding them farewell, shalom. And it means much more than just hello. It means much more than just goodbye. It's more than just simply peace. It's a complete peace. It's this complete feeling of contentment, completeness wholeness, well-being, harmony. Shalom means the absence of sin as well as the consequences of sin. That is perfection. That's, what, that's the shalom we are longing for. This idea of completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, per perfectness, fullness, Rest, harmony, the absence of agitation, the absence of discord. The reason why Christmas is such a big deal, whether we know Jesus or not, is because deep down, I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know how you, uh, what it means for you to ascertain who Jesus is in your life. You might not even really believe in Jesus, but you love the spirit of it anyhow. But here's the thing we've got to understand. No matter where you are, you are longing for shalom. You are longing for peace. You are longing for fulfillment. You're longing for happiness. You're longing for contentment. And sometimes you long for it in material possessions. You long for it possibly in money. You long for it possibly with sex. You long for it possibly uh, through entertainment. And you know this to be true, that those things don't ultimately fill that gap. You know that. We know that. Christmas doesn't do that. The typical Christmas that we engage, it doesn't do that. Because as soon as Christmas is over, all of the joy subsides. I remember going uh, with a group of folks and we went out to, uh, on a Disney cruise. And I remember uh, after getting off of the cruise ship, several people were remarking and saying, man, now that I'm back on, on land, I feel like all the magic is gone. I feel like all the joy is gone. I feel like I, I, I believed anything was possible when I was on that Disney cruise ship. And when I got back to the real world, I just felt like all of that was sucked away. We all feel that when the holidays are over. If you did engage the escapism of the holidays, as soon as it's over, you realize that that's not sustainable. So you just long for the next Christmas and you just put your head down and deal with the pain or avoid the pain for the next 11 months and try to jump back into it again. That cycle is crushing. That cycle is exhausting. It cannot be sustained unless you engage the true shalom that the Christmas tree brings. This is uh, why you see uh, the angels singing at the birth of Jesus, saying things like goodwill to men and peace on earth. We're talking about peace. We're talking about shalom. So we're talking about this full peace, a complete peace, peace with God, peace among men and women, peace with uh, creation, a peace that allows people from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation to gather with the Lamb. It's a peace that makes us all one in Christ. So in conclusion, when you think about Christmas, when you think about this Christmas season, this Advent season, if you're like me, you've got your home decorated, beautiful Christmas trees and all of their resplendent glory, ribbons and ornaments. And that is all right, because I'm for it. Love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. And yet it can be some of the most saddening times, even for me during those years. But those trees, whatever tree you have in your house, it's either dead or it's artificial. And when the Christmas season passes, they will either be thrown away or put back in the box. That's what that artificial joy that you might feel, that artificial happiness that you might feel, it's either going to die or it's going to be shoved back in a box. But there is another type of living tree a tree that never dies, a tree, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a fruitful branch. This is the tree that will always be 
in your home. That's the tree you want on display in your home. This, this tree, Jesus of Nazareth, is someone you'll never want to throw out or store away in a box. This is a hope that will never have to just go away. Why not? Because in that branch dwells all of the fullness of God. In him, God was made manifest in the flesh. On him rested the spirit of God without measure. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He revealed the, the, the counsel of God that had once been hidden from the beginning of the world begins to be revealed back. The way back to the heart of God has been revealed through the way of the cross. The way back to have right relationship with each other has been revealed through the way of the cross. On him rested the spirit of counsel and might. So let me remind you, as you uh, worship through this Advent season, as you worship through this Christmas holiday, what Isaiah reminds us, he spells out the result. He says it uh, in the next chapter. He says, in that day, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you've comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. How do we hope in the midst of turmoil? How do we make Christmas a time where we have real rejoicing in the midst of things that have brought pain? Because we trust in the only Christmas tree that matters. Jesus, the seed of David, the seed of Jesse, the very Messiah. He's our joy, our song, our hope, and our prayer. Because that shoot comes up from the stump. He's the living tree never to be put in a box, never to be having to be burned or chopped up or thrown away. He brings peace and therefore he brings joy in our salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us that we don't have to hide. Thank you for reminding us that we don't have to avoid during this Christmas season. Lord, there are reasons that some of us have uh, to, to be um, sad, to be heartbroken, to be heavy hearted during this season because Lord, we're reminded of things that have just brought nothing but turmoil. There are those like myself who have loved ones, parents that are no longer with us and maybe Christmas is associated with incredible memories and joy and comfort that used to come from that direction. There are some of us who have uh, family members who are alive and yet there's brokenness in the relationships and so Christmas brings nothing but turmoil. God, I pray for those individual situations that you indeed would bring the hope of Christmas, the hope of justice and righteousness, the hope that you have come to make those relationships right, either now or eventually when you return. And so we look forward to that hope, the way that the children of Israel looked forward to that hope. God, I pray that uh, even as we as a nation, as a country, we are dealing with uh, a host of issues, so many things that should be bringing us real mourning. I pray that we don't bypass that morning in the midst of Christmas. I pray that Christmas gives us additional language to engage real mourning. And I pray that we don't mourn as those with no hope. I pray that we would take great hope, joy, and that we would place our greatest trust in you in this uh, shoot that comes up through the stump, that in the middle of things that have been killed, that have been torn down, that are dead, that real life is coming out of it. I pray that we would be a, a people that trusts in you this Christmas in such a way that we don't have to stop mourning, but we can have incredible rejoicing that is only possible because of who you are, what you've done, what you bring. Jesus, we pray that now in your name. Amen. This time we're going to spend uh, just a, a brief moment walking through the very thing we claim to be our hope, the thing we claim to trust in. We say that Jesus is our greatest hope. He is our joy. We say that uh, the work that he began, he is going to finish. So while we talk about his birth and during Easter, we talk about his death. 
All of these things are vitally important to our faith and none of them matter if he does not come back. The fact that he is risen is, is the thing that perfects our hope. Because now, if Jesus doesn't return, if he never came back from the dead, if he never resurrected, then his promise would have been illusory at best. But now we see that that promise is one that has been kept. It gives us a reason to keep hoping. This Christmas, we're reminded of his body. We're reminded of the body, this baby that was born to give his body for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed. He gave thanks for the Passover meal. Then he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat of it. And then in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. Take and drink of it and do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul says that as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. When we do this, we are proclaiming not that we have it together, not that we figured it out, not that we have all wisdom, not that we have our love perfectly worked out, but we're saying that we trust that the love, that the wisdom, that the power of Jesus is beyond our own. We rest on that. We have no hope outside of that. If that's true for you, then this meal is for you. Now receive the final blessing of God together. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. This Christmas, this Advent season, may all of God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.